0: to A Virtual View. Today, I'm joined by Rosemary Marquez, a PhD candidate in the Department of Applied Health Sciences at the Indiana University School of Public Health. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So could you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: So I am originally from Venezuela, born and raised, and I'm currently pursuing a PhD in health behavior at the Indiana University School of Public Health in Bloomington. And my work looks looks at forced migration, refugee health, and reproductive health, with a particular emphasis on the recent displacement of Venezuelans across Latin
0: America. And because we are a telehealth podcast, I always ask all of my guests this. Have you had experience with telehealth before as a patient or a provider?
1: I have during the pandemic.
0: So can you elaborate a little bit about the case study you did about remote communications technology?
1: Sure. So in the case study, I described how I was able to conduct a qualitative study remotely with Venezuelan migrant women in Peru. I was specifically looking at the access to sexual and reproductive healthcare services among Venezuelan migrants and refugees. And I would like to talk more about the topic because it relates to the study I conducted and the case study in general. I study the Venezuelan displacement and access to healthcare. That's what I do for my research. And over 7 million Venezuelans have been displaced. And Peru is a country with the largest number of Venezuelans after Colombia. I wanted to conduct a study to understand how Venezuelan migrant women access sexual and reproductive health care services in Peru, given that information on this topic was limited among this population. So as I designed the study, I knew I wanted to study access to healthcare care services among this population, but I found myself in a very difficult position. Despite getting funding from IU to travel to Peru and conduct the study, I could not Uh, process the necessary paperwork to travel to the country since I have a Venezuelan passport. It is difficult to travel with a Venezuelan passport since we require visas to enter most, most countries, and I honestly don't think this is a problem unique to Venezuelans. That is a reality that we have to face as global health researchers. I'm talking about researchers from the global south. I will say that a lot of researchers from the global south Do face challenges when they're trying to present their work or conduct research in other countries, but the bottom line is that I just couldn't go to Peru. But I still needed to conduct the study and I'm currently in Indiana, so I had to come up with a plan and approaches to conduct the study remotely from where I was and that could be very challenging because it included recruiting participants, uh, conducting the interviews, setting up the interviews, providing incentive, all of that while being in a completely different country. So in the case study, as you asked, I provided very detailed description of how I was able to conduct the study remotely. And I would also like to add that I'm not Peruvian. I haven't ever been to Peru. And, uh, but however, I do have an ad- my academic advisor is from, is from Peru, so she provided with important information on how I was able to conduct the study, and she was able to get me in touch with people on the ground uh, who were conducting similar work and were able to provide with advice as I was trying to design the study.
0: No, it seems like it would be really valuable to have a, a local connection when dealing with a study like this. Yeah,
1: it's very important.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Why specifically, the larger case study with with reproductive health, why was that a topic you wanted to focus on?
1: At the moment I conducted the study, there were over one million Venezuelans in Peru, mostly located in Lima. And there was very little information on how they access or how women of reproductive age access sexual and reproductive health care services in the country. However, I knew from survey data that the usage of modern forms of contraceptions was very low compared to local Peruvian women and even women in Latin America. So that is why I got interested in the topic because of the limited information that Um, existed and also because I wanted to actually understand how they navigated the system to access these kind of services and the most appropriate way to do it in this context was qualitatively.
0: You connected with a lot of vulnerable and at-risk groups while doing your research. There's maybe no one more vulnerable than migrant groups like this. So how does remote communications technology help to hear from groups like this that may face barriers being heard or connected with otherwise?
1: So as I mentioned, like I'm Venezuelan, and I one of the reasons why I decided to do a study research on the Venezuelan displacement is because my family has been affected by it. And I knew from my own personal experience having family members in Latin America, in several countries in South America, and publications I had read um, that Venezuelans actually use WhatsApp to communicate with family that they might have in Venezuela or other Venezuelans in the country where they reside. And I knew that most likely they had a mobile phone. And for those of you who do not know what WhatsApp is, WhatsApp is an app that allows you to text, voice message, and make phone calls to anyone else who has the app. And it doesn't matter where they are. They just need cellular connection or Wi-Fi. And of course, because it's an app, they need a smartphone. So understanding that my target population most likely had WhatsApp helped me create a way to approach them. And something I could use to recruit participants and conduct the interviews remotely while I was in the United States and my participants were in Peru. I also think that beyond the technologies I used to connect with my participants, it helped that I am Venezuelan and that I had family members in the country. So when I connected with them, I mentioned that I was born and raised in the country. When I interviewed them, they noticed that I had the same accent as they did. And all of this really helped build rapport with my participants. And at the end, I think it, it really helped gave me the rich data set that I was able to collect at the end of the study.
0: It sounds like it would be very valuable to have specific personal information about the communities you're engaging with, for sure. When we talk about doing studies like this on these groups that don't necessarily have the same access or people, folks aren't as aware of the challenges that they're facing, do you think that conducting this kind of research is important to affect larger society's view of, of people who are facing these difficulties?
1: Yeah, and i I do think that sometimes we make assumptions about people and we might assume that because they are refugees or immigrants, they might not have a smartphone or they might not have access to internet or have a data plan on their phone. And the truth is that we need to put those assumptions aside. And and for the population I was looking at, which are Venezuelan immigrants or refugees in the country, they did have access to these technologies and it's actually becoming a lot more common for venezuelans to use whatsapp to communicate with their family members in venezuela and also hold that as a way to hold ties with their motherland i also think that people really need to rethink what it means for us to say that a group is hard to reach like hard to reach to who i mean they were not hard to reach to me and i was in indiana with that being said i also would like to acknowledge that venezuela migrants who probably did not have a mobile phone or what with whatsapp or data i might not have been able to reach them
0: right I, i really do appreciate that you say that that hard to reach is something that isn't necessarily true because hard to reach for for who i really like that conclusion because i do think that there is an assumption that there are certain populations that don't have access to technology, where a lot of people do. Like, it is very common to have a smartphone, regardless of where you are.
1: Yeah, exactly. Probably having a smartphone wasn't as common before, but now it's becoming a lot more accessible. And I like to think about the possibilities that that has for research and how it enabled me to conduct a study remotely, which in the past it would have been impossible to do
0: so were you primarily just using your mobile phone to connect with these people
1: yeah so i use different technologies i use whatsapp i also like i personally just use whatsapp a lot um yeah (laughs) but i and it surprises me that when i know people who don't use whatsapp because it's such a convenient app but i use whatsapp to get in touch with potential participants i was able through the app, I was able to provide them with information about the study, and also ask them if they have any questions about the study. It was very easy for me to use. And through the app, I also set up an interview, and I will send them a reminder before the interview through WhatsApp. And WhatsApp has a mobile, like an app that you can download for your desktop, so it was very easy for me to type or upload files as I needed to. And then for the interview, for the actual interview, what I had to t- talk to them, I had to think a lot about it because I didn't want my study to cost them money. And my advisor said that if, for example, my participant didn't have access to Wi-Fi, which Wi-Fi is like very common in the U.S., but it's not that common in, in Peru or like the, the, the connection might be not that reliable. I really had to come up with ways in which I could connect with them and it wouldn't cost them money. So what I did is that I purchased an Skype plan. A- Skype is also an app that allows you to, do fo- to make phone calls, but in this case, when you purchase a plan and you can call someone in another country and it literally works like a local phone call. I wasn't able to have a video, which was not ideal for qualitative work but I, I was able to use an approach that wouldn't cost any money to the participants and that would give me reliable connections so, which is also important for qualitative research. So I used that and that was very helpful. And Then something else I did is that for me, particularly given that this, this population is very vulnerable and they, they do not have a lot of time, they work a lot of hours during the day, I really wanted to compensate them for their time, which is common practice in the US. But it was very difficult for me to, do, to transfer money from the US to Peru. So what I did is that I used an app called Yape, which is very similar to Venmo. And through this app, I was able to provide the participants with incentive after the interview. And I hired a research assistant in Peru who was able to facilitate that process because I couldn't use Venmo from the US, since it's a local app in Peru. And then at the end, I use an AI transcription service to transcribe the interviews, and I also use another software that helped me with the data analysis.
0: So you used a lot of different technologies for this. And on the user end, so on the end of the folks that you are researching, do you think that it was important to have technologies that were very user-friendly, very easy to use?
1: I mean, that was very important. I interview women of reproductive age. So I assume like they knew how to use these technologies I was using, and it wasn't very difficult to use. Like the WhatsApp app, if they have a mobile phone, the WhatsApp app works as like, you're like texting someone or calling someone on the app. And my mom knows how to use it even. And then the Skype phone call was, was like if they were picking up the phone and someone was calling them from Peru. It was literally like a a local, national phone call, even though I was calling them from a different country and the connection was great. I never had issues with the connection. So it was fairly easy for them to use. The only issue I encountered was that, for example, like at the beginning, I tried to send them a PDF on WhatsApp of with information about the study and they just couldn't open the PDF on their phone. So what I did is that I I copy and paste the, the information the PDF and I send it as a as a text. So it's like things I mean this I'm talking about this study like it was easy but it really took several tries and like a lot of conversations with several people including my advisor to really come up with ways that or different approaches and find technologies that would be easier for the end user because that was very important for me. And it was also important for me to use technologies that, that would not cost them money. That's why I end up using Skype and not Zoom or like a phone call on WhatsApp, like a, a video call on WhatsApp.
0: Yeah, and I imagine that you'd get greater participation among folks if they don't have to pay for anything and if they already understand the technologies that they're using. Because you can have great technology, but if it takes time to understand and to learn, then your vulnerable populations, and particularly the ones that like have a lot of work to do and don't have a lot of time, aren't necessarily going to want to engage with you. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think particularly for research, you don't want to do something that will cost them any money unless you're able to right. compensate them which I would have been able to do, but it's just like I also had to take into account that my participants were in Peru and like Wi-Fi is not as available as it is in the United States. So like I think they don't, even though they did have a mobile phone and they had access to WhatsApp and other apps that I could use, like I had to keep that in mind as I was doing the study and that was important for me.
0: Yeah, connectivity is a challenge here in the U.S. So I can't imagine having to work across borders, how, how much of a, a barrier that is towards getting participation from folks. Exactly. We talked a lot about the technologies that you've been using. Do you think in the future when we continue to uh, engage with, with vulnerable populations or populations in really geographically remote places, do you think it's important to continue to sort of use this technology that is very simple to use and very like user-friendly?
1: Yeah, I think these technologies allow us to conduct research or do research in ways that we have not considered before, particularly before COVID-19. It would not have been considered best practice to conduct a qualitative study remotely, but during the COVID-19 pandemic, those technologies became a lot more common, and it it is possible. So like, it has become more of a common practice for qualitative researchers and other researchers to conduct studies remotely. And it's also, it's also very cost efficient, I want to say. So just to be very transparent about this, conducting the interviews, hiring the research assistant and providing incentive cost me less than a thousand dollars. And I will wow. have, yeah, that's a, a very consider like that was a very reasonable amount, given the fact Mm -hmm. that I was able to interview 20 participants and provide them with incentives. And that Mm -hmm. also takes into account what I paid for the Skype phone plan uh, that I had to purchase and also hiring this research assistant. And, you know, honestly, like I would have had to pay over a thousand dollars just to get there.
0: And that probably makes this kind of research a lot more accessible if you don't have to pay all of these costs and then also a plane ticket, a place to stay, transportation once you're there. So it's really cutting down on costs that way. Exactly. So could you tell me a little bit about the conclusions that you came to at the end of this study?
1: Yeah, there were many. I mean, it was a wild ride, honestly. Uh, The way how I (laughs) explained it was just very hard. Like when it happened and I was able to collect the study, I was even, I was very surprised that it worked because I I know I just talk about the way I did it, but like coming up with like those approaches took a lot of work. And, And one of the main conclusions for me was that it is possible to conduct a study remotely with participants that are quote unquote, hard to reach and who are in a different country, I wasn't expecting. I was able to recruit and collect data so quickly. I conducted 20 interviews in a period of, it was actually less than three weeks. That is pretty fast for qualitative research. And in all honesty, I was able to get good quality data for the study and build rapport with my participants in ways that I thought it would only be possible if I were in person. I also would like to say that it was very challenging for me to do the study and it was not, that, that really surprised me honestly, it was not in terms of the logistical aspects of it, which I thought was gonna be the main challenge. It was more in terms of how difficult it was for me to hear their stories and it was like, one difficult story after the other. Uh, some days I conducted three interviews in a day, and those are a lot mm-hmm. of interviews, particularly when you're doing qualitative interviews. I didn't have a lot of time to process what I had just listened to. And my participants had very difficult lives in Peru, and being, and me being a woman also from Venezuela who has family in Peru, it was like very difficult for me emotionally. And it was very hard for me not to be there and, and feeling that I there wasn't really much I could do. And as a matter of fact, one of my participants asked me during the interview, What is your research gonna do for me now? And mm-hmm. I, I didn't have a clear answer that I could give at that moment. I think that is very frustrating for researchers like me, not to be able to answer that. And that's something that I keep in mind as I'm designing more studies that are similar. I want to be able to answer that question. I, like when a participant asks me a question like that in the future, what is your research going to do for me now? I want to be able to provide a clear answer.
0: Yeah, that's really hard, I'm sure. Because I, and I think that's a problem that comes along with a lot of research where you're looking at these these really hard situations and these really hard topics, and you need the information so you can correctly address problems and provide aid, but you can't do that as you're researching. You can't do it until the research is done. So I can't imagine how hard that was for you.
1: Yeah, and it was a process. I think that I have been a PhD student for, at that point when I conducted the study, that was my third year as a PhD student, and we are given a lot of training on how to do research which is very like very mechanical honestly like we learn about mm-hmm. theory we learn about the steps um, we do not get a lot of training on support or support on the emotional aspect of research particularly when you are dealing with communities that face difficult challenges and in my case even though I am in the United States and I do not consider myself a refugee. I do have family who have similar stories and and hearing the stories one after the other in a day without anyone I could talk to because I was working remotely from home, it was very difficult. And I, I think that I had to learn as a researcher on my own how to process those emotions and how to do research in ways that do not really affect my mental health. Uh, But at the end of the day, I do want to acknowledge that these feelings are normal and we're all humans. (laughs) And I think that we need to talk
0: more about it. So are there any next steps you're planning to take with this research?
1: Yeah. So the case study describing the approaches I used to conduct, the research is published. And I would like to find other venues that I to discuss how I, was, how I was able to do the study. That is why I was very excited to do this podcast. Mm-hmm. I am going to be presenting the same case study next week at a colloquium in my school with other doctoral students who might be interested in doing a similar research, maybe not doing simil- a similar topic, but like using similar approaches because their population might not be in Indiana. And I continue to look for venues. I know that publishing this as a publication is not enough, and I would like to be able to have other venues where I'm able to discuss what I did and some of the takeaways I took from the study.
0: Yeah, no, I think awareness around this is incredibly important because when you think about going out and doing research, sitting down in front of your computer and logging into WhatsApp isn't the first thing that comes into your head, but maybe it should be. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you are a PhD student right now, correct? Yes. So what are your future plans beyond this study?
1: Not so beyond the study, but like I would like to be able to publish the results of the study. So I'm currently working on a manuscript. So the case study described how I was able to do the study but did not provide information on the results. So I'm working mm-hmm. on a manuscript for that. And long term I would like to work as a research consultant or nonprofits or other companies do doing research for them. That is sort of what I would like to do in the future. I'm currently working on my dissertation after I did the study and I work with refugees, that's also something I'm, I'm trying to do and there are different organizations that are nonprofit, profit uh, humanitarian organizations, and they, some of them have research groups that do research with refugees. I would very much love to do, continue this line of work on forced migration and be able to
0: do that for a nonprofit. profit Well, thank you so much for joining us today and shedding some light on a very important topic. I think we'll continue to see developments in how we're going to use remote communications technology and research going forward. And I look forward to seeing what those are. So thank you again. Thank you.
2: For listening to a virtual view. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss? If so, contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Also, we'd like to give a special thanks to our editor, Tristan Yoder. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Service Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under HRSA's Office of the Administrator and the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy of, or the position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.